Good morning to y'all. I'm very excited to share a little bit about what, how God used um, sin in my life and just a little bit about the past four, um, three months. Um, they were very life, as, um, as Brother Dave said, it was very, very life-changing in many ways. And God used sent one to powerfully work in my life and change my life in some different ways. So um, I'd, uh, us, us three will each come up and share about 10 minutes just um, about different things that God did in our life. Um, I really want to share about the village experience. While we were there on scent, um, there, <clears throat> we had the opportunity of going out. Um, there's, there's these Christian villages with the local CBC church, um, Charity Bible Church um, out there. And we had the opportunity of going out to these local churches and staying with a pastor and just living with them, observing their life, observing the local church and just how it looks in normal life. Um, it was an incredible opportunity. Um, just to try to give you a picture of these village churches and the villages. So we, our, our scent base was, was um, in, in the city of Tomale, but about 15 years ago, um, Daniel, um, Daniel and Christy would have moved out to these to these villages. They would be there's these thousand there's like um, thousands of these isolated, um, fairly isolated um, small villages surrounding Tomale. Um, some of them don't even have a, a road going going to that much of a road going to them. Many of them don't have electricity. The the people would be like a subsistence farmers, so they would raise all their own food, and then um, so very very poor. Um, they're very like um, clan-like, um, there'd be the the villages. It's it's very very close. You know, there's just these 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 groups of families, and so um, yeah, just a very unique um, cultural, uh, very shocking cultural difference. Because um, yeah, the villages they would have their a chief, and then they would have their families, and everyone knows each other, and it's just village life. <laughs> um, it's just a very shocking culture, experience, um, culture experience. But anyway, um, 15, about 15 years ago, Daniel and Christy would have moved out to these villages. And at that time, about 15 years ago, these would have been um, largely animistic villages, um, like spirit worshipers. There would not have even been um, a local church in most of these villages. A lot, of, a lot of the people in these villages would very likely have never, never even heard the gospel. Um, and 15 years ago, Daniel and Christy moved out to these villages and started preaching the gospel. And since then, in the past, past um, 10 years, um, the local church, the gospel has taken root and, and a local church has been started. And by now, the, the church is just vibrant, on fire for Christ. Um, Daniel has actually stepped back and is just providing oversight. So these churches are very local, um, self-supporting, self-funding. Um, they have local pastors, and they're self-propagating, like they're just spreading and spreading and spreading. Um, it's really, really amazing um, to see just how, how the gospel took root, and, and now the Church of Jesus Christ is just um, going for it. <laughs> um, I, probably one of the biggest things that God, God taught me was how the gospel is a powerful force. Um, it's a life-changing reality. It's not just a theological um, 
a theological idea, but it's a powerful, life-changing force. And it's not just limited to our culture. Um, the, the gospel can go into any other culture on earth and change lives, and the Church of Jesus Christ can be established on any other, um, in any other culture on earth. Um, so just to see that in real life was an incredible opportunity. Um, I'd like to share, share a little bit, um, a story. Um, we were staying in the village of Manya. It was just me and another guy for, it had been about five days. And we were staying with, um, his name was Evangelist Philip. And his job was, he was kind of an ordained, and his job was to travel around the smaller villages around Manya and preach there, and there's these, there's these small villages and these very tiny little churches out in these villages. And many of the, many of the village churches, um, the, the people would be illiterate. Um, Evangelist Philip had a little more education. He had a Bible. But many of these people would be completely illiterate, wouldn't own a, own, own a Bible, um, and you know, very, very uneducated. So uh, he would, um, Evangelist Philip would travel around in the evenings after work to these villages and just give, provide spiritual nourishment to these small churches. And that, that was the spiritual nourishment um, every day for, these, for the local believers because they, they couldn't read the word for themselves. Um, so an incredibly important job. So we, we had the opportunity of traveling out one evening. Um, we actually traveled out three different times to different villages, but I'm just remembering one evening in particular, we got, got these old, old bicycles. He was, ha, was able to borrow these bicycles, and it was a several-mile ride over very rough roads across a river to this remote village. It didn't have electricity. It was in the dark. The sun had set, and so we were just driving by moonlight. It was really hard to stay on the road. And after a while, we arrived at the village, and they welcomed us into the village and killed a chicken for us, um, treated us very hospitably. And anyway, we, we spent the evening there, and then later on, they had their service. And that, that specific um, village church did, did not, not have any church building. So it was just out in the open, um, there were logs around, and... Um, there wasn't. There was no one in the village who spoke English. I don't think there was anyone who was literate. Um, so, yeah, we we were able to observe the church service, sit there, and Evangelist Philip preached and shared the word. Um, and as as Evangelist Philip was sharing, I, I I just there was a a poor farmer right next to me, and we had been talking to him through like through um, Philip was interpreting, and we had been talking to him and just a zealous a zealous man, um, just a godly man, but, but yeah, very poor, illiterate. And anyway, as, as Evangelist Philip was sharing, I could just see, like, he, he just held out his arms and just soaked in the word. And it just hit me really hard. Um, I have the word of God. I take that for granted way too often. But do I realize what an incredible privilege it is to have free access to the word of God um, most of my family has, has uh, all my family has Bibles. We can read it um, whenever we want. I'm a fast reader, and yet I way too often take it for granted, and I'm, and and I just go at the scriptures as a storybook, and I don't treat it as the powerful, life-changing Word of God that it really is. And it just struck me that um, if the, it, it, we are incredibly privileged to have the Word of God. But 
it's too easy to take that privilege for granted and therefore, thereby, um, therefore forfeit the blessing. Um, and so that was very life-changing in some ways. I think that'll be with me the rest of my life, um, just that picture of, of the, the young, the illiterate farmer, but just soaking in the word and just that shock that I have the word of God. I could read it whenever I want. I can soak myself in it. I can memorize it. What am I doing with it? Just want to share that share that story with you all. Um, one other thing that really really struck me and changed changed the way I think about a lot of things um, was just seeing the the local church in the local church. There they are very um, theology wise. They are very young. They don't. We are you know they're new Christians. And the power of gospel was power of the gospel was working in their life, and they're like they're living out the gospel. But yet, as far as theological concepts, it's just um, they they don't have much of a they don't they don't have much of a grounding in, the, in, in theology. And that's a blessing um, that we are grounded in the word. But it it really really humbled me um, that the the fact that these many of these people. Um, were living out the gospel. And, I don't know, just being in their lives and seeing the gospel working out in their lives, um, many of them had a faith in the power of God that put me to shame. Um, just an absolute faith and trust in God and were serving him in ways that put me to shame. And yet here I am and I, I have all the knowledge and the, and the wisdom. And I just realized, it, it, it just struck me that as a Westerner, I, you know, I'm, I'm more intellectual, I, and it's way too easy to have all the head knowledge, have it all right up here, and yet to miss it, um, to, 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 ha, ha, um, to know the gospel, um, to, to fully, to, to know my Bible, to know the theology, and yet the power of gospel is not actually working in my life. It's way too easy. Um, it's, it, that's 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 a temptation for myself, and it just it. I thought of I was just thinking about it. We as a church could learn so much. We we as Western churches could learn so much from them as a church, and they could learn so much from us. But it it was just very humbling seeing these seeing these uneducated um, poor believers, but yet just seeing the power of the gospel working through their life mightily, and. And um, the power of God, the power of God, um, just demonstrating itself. Um, so yeah, I, I, it really made a difference pr practically. Um, I, I, I gained a lot of faith in the power of the gospel, and since then I've been able to reach out to one of our one of our neighbors, um, something I wouldn't have thought of thought of doing before. And yeah, I I I, I, would, I really. I really want to communicate as much of that as possible to you, um, since we are we all are not able necessarily to go over there and see the local church. But I I am excited to share that there is the local church of Jesus Christ is thriving, and the power of gospel is mightily working, um, and the power of gospel the power of the gospel is strong is mighty. It changes lives. It's a life changing reality, not just a head knowledge. Um, so, yeah. Thank you.
Good morning. It is very good to be back. Um, I'm going to share two stories um, of what, like, an experience I had where God, I really felt God working in my life, and I felt him really speaking to me. And then I also want to share about some of the classes that we had. Um, so the one time, um, the time that the guys were in the village, the guys split up in pairs of two. Um, there's only five guys, though, so one of the guys ended up going with one of the African um, leaders, so that was neat. But all of us girls, all eight of us girls, were in um, one village together, and there was no electricity in that village, and so we had so much fun watching the stars because the stars were incredible at night. And um, their church building was really small, and they had built it themselves. And so we went there and we painted it. That was our project for the week. We painted it, and then in the evenings, we would travel to um, different communities on a Moto King, and we'd all pile on the back and travel to different villages, and we'd have ladies' meetings. So Christy would share in these villages, and all of us would listen in on how she would share with the cultural barriers and the or language barriers and the cultural differences, and just observing how she communicated. And the one evening, it was we were sharing in our village, and the village of Jinwu, and um, we had church service outside on benches because the church. It was really hot because it kind of retains the heat from the day. So we were all outside, and the stars were amazing. But she shared on fear and how um, the fear in our life can completely destroy who we are, and it can completely destroy our lives and our relationships. And so it was a really good session, and the ladies in the village really appreciated it. Um, but afterwards, we all went back to our compound, and... Me and another girl sat outside of the compound on a mat, and we were watching the stars, and we started just sharing about our lives and our struggles, and we had shared a lot of the same struggles like in our, through our younger teen years, and so we talked for probably three hours, and at the end, it was like really emotional. We were praying together, and they have these shade places that the guys like laying in. Um, it's like they have boards maybe two or three feet off the ground and with like grass roofs over it. So there's these guys laying in there and they do play some things off of their phones like in English, but a lot of it is in their language. Um, but this time they started playing the song Here I Am to Worship in English and we're like, okay, God, this is from you. And so we just sat there watching the stars and listening to the song, and then they started playing a message in English, and it was about how we need to forget the past and forgive the past and move on with open arms to what God wants us to do in the future. And here we are in the middle of a village, in the middle of Africa, where there's no electricity. They have to travel to charge their phones, and they're playing these song, this song and this message off their phone, and... It was just like God was speaking to us, and it was, it was really neat. Um, and then we also had school ministry weeks. I think there was about four weeks where we would have classes during the day, and then either mornings or afternoons we would go to schools or churches. Um, I think we had one or two Bible schools, and we would give a program, and usually one, um, one message and two testimonies. 
So the guys would preach for about 15 minutes, and us girls had about five minutes to share. Um, so I had four times where I shared, and on the fourth time, I think I heard on a Monday that I was supposed to share on Thursday, and so leading up to it, I was reading my Bible, I was praying, I was talking with my teammates, and I could not come up with anything to share. And I was like, okay, hey God, you're going to have to show me because I have nothing to share. And our team leader was like, well, you can just share something you already shared. Like, that's not a problem because we're going to a different school anyhow. And I wasn't sure how I felt about that, but then it was getting closer and I didn't have anything. And we get to this, well, on the way to the schools, we would always sing to warm up our voices and then we would pray for the people sharing, for um, the school students, because we'd always talk to them afterwards. Um, and during that time, I was just like, I have nothing to share. <laughs> and we get to this, it was a Bible school, and we get there, and they're introducing us, and I still don't know what I'm going to share. <laughs> and so we stand up. I had taken my notebook with the three other things I had shared, just in case. And um, one of the guys shared a testimony, and then they said it was my turn. So I just opened up my notebook, and I was like, hey, I'll just share something I already shared. And so far, the other three times, I pretty much read out of my notebook because I had a hard time staying on track and actually being able to communicate what I wanted to say. And this time, I got up there, and I opened my notebook, and then the only time I looked at it was to read the verses that I had written down. And I just shared from my heart, and it was really neat to see God come through like that for me and speak through me. Um, and then... Um, some of the courses we had, they were on um, core discipleship. It was about a week and a half, a week or a week and a half of core discipleship courses. And some of those um, courses really, really stuck out to me. I'll just share little snippets from those. Uh, one of the courses was about not waiting for, like, a big change in our lives, but trusting God to work in our lives slowly and change us over time. And being faithful in our discipline, and being faithful in trusting him, and then um, just not waiting for, like, that experience that, you know, people talk about, where, where it does happen to some people, but, like, if it doesn't happen to you where it's just, like, a big bang, oh, I'm saved, then just trust God in that. And um, the more we let, um, the more we're disciplined and the more we let him work through us and have our needs met by him, then we're less likely to go to people to find our identity. Because when you're waiting for that big experience and you're not trusting God in the process, it's so easy to go to people or things to find who we are. Um, and then another thing he said is, our growth and fellowship with him is potential. It is developed by our spiritual discipline in Christ. So it's not looking at specifically who we are today, but looking at our potential and what we can be for God and wanting to press forward in being um, the most we can for God. We also had a session on God being a relational God, and that was really, really neat. I never really, I guess I never really thought about it in depth that God was wanting to have a deep connection with each one of us and um, how we have it built in us the relationships that we crave, the um, love that we really want, like that is from God. 
And something Daniel said was, when we discover that the personal author of time, space, matter, and energy has, for some incomprehensible reason, chosen to love us to the point of infinite sacrifice, we begin to embrace the unconditional security we long for all our lives. Um, and then Daniel has a way of every day he'd bring us, well, not quite every day, but pretty often he'd bring us new flowers that were blooming, and he'd be like, look what God put in our path today. Let's thank him for it. And we would talk about the flower and what's unique about it and just different growth. And he's like, God put this there specifically for us. And um, we need to see every new thing as a gift from him. And then he said, the more we are impressed by him, the less will we impressed by people, power, and things. And that really stuck out to me. Like, if my heart is sold out for God, then these little things are going to look so tiny and unimportant in my life that they would look important if I didn't focus on God. And then another session was on obedience. And um, he was saying how so often we look at it, obedience is something painful and hard and um, something that, you know, we don't really want to do. But um, God is not a God that is an enemy of joy. He is the author of joy. And He's showing us, Daniel was speaking on how in the long run, um, or he's looking at long term, and so often obedience right now looks painful, but in the long run, it is actually for our benefit and for our good, and looking back, obedience, you see the joy in obeying. Um, He had a session on who we are in him and in God, and uh, how we can be confident in knowing that um, we, have, we can have a personal relationship with him and who we are in him as in, like, if God is my father and I'm then a princess, then the temptations are below me. Like, I can't have room for those temptations because that's below me as God's daughter. And he said, only when we fully accept what he says of us can we look at temptation that way. God's not asking me to impress him. At the very baseline, he wants me to accept and believe that he loves me and is going to care for all my needs. And then my doing should flow out of being. And another session, he was talking about how um, we need to not view um, our relationship with God as something that it'll just come over time if we go to church every Sunday or... um, Yeah, it was really, really neat to hear this. He was sharing how, you know, when he hears people play piano, we had a music evening, and he's like, it's hard for me not to get jealous because you guys have such a gift. And then he's like, wait, you guys have actually spent hours and hours pouring over the piano, practicing. And he's like, that the beauty that comes from that now was not just, it didn't just come overnight. It was a process of years of playing. And he's like... Then he also used an illustration of someone in the Olympics. They don't win the Olympics by working out every Sunday or working out once a week. They work out for hours every day, and they practice for hours, and they're working out for that final prize at the end. And so he's like, in our spiritual life, why can't we view it the same way, where we have to work out every day. We have to be preparing. We have to be disciplined. And... um, we can't just sit in church Sunday mornings and get it, get our relationship from God there. 
Um, yeah, so that was really, really neat for me. I know before set one, I had been convicted about being disciplined, and I didn't really, I didn't really think about it a lot because, I mean, it's hard work. And so then hearing this session was really good for me. Um, something Daniel said was, we must see discipline as an external practice of what reflects and reinforces internal aspirations. Um, so does my, do, the, do I wear, or where I want to end up in the future, is my discipline reflecting that today? Am I willing to give up little things or be disciplined now to be where I want to be in the future? Um, he also said, don't sit on the couch and spend all your money on new running shoes or workout equipment when all you need to do is get off your couch and go for a run in the shoes you have. Um, spiritual disciplines remind us that the spiritual life is a balance between radical dependence and responsible action. Both grace and self-discipline are required for spiritual maturity. Um, disciplines also replace habits of sin by cultivating habits that lead to character, like integrity, faithfulness, and compassion. So, so often, like when we feel like we're stuck in a rut and discipline looks really hard, then we need to look at the big picture and where we want to end up. And discipline often leads to, well, it will lead to a close relationship to God if we're faithful in it. And it is something that is required in our personal walk with God. Um, another thing in the month after, this was, I mean, it happened in set one too, but in the month I stayed with them afterwards, I got such a view of heaven that I never had before. And Daniel and Christy talk about it pretty much every day. They are like longing for the day when everyone can be together. And I don't know why, but I never, heaven wasn't really a reality to me before I went on set one. Um, I mean, of course I believed in heaven, but I never really invested much thought in it. And um, going to Africa and loving the people there and realizing that I'll probably never see some of my close friends again, except for in heaven. Um, it, really, it really struck me that investing time in people is investing time in heaven. And um, yeah, heaven became a really, really, really close reality in my time there. Um, I was gonna share the schedule a little bit that we had, but I don't have it on me right now, so I need to run and get that. So you can share while I run and get that. All right, thank you so much, Lily and Johan. Yeah, it's hard. Um, I'm thankful for this opportunity because it's hard to um, narrow down your thoughts so much in just a few minutes. But I have two things. And so when I first went on Send One, or right in the first month, I was struggling with sacrifice. And I, God was teaching me about what it means to sacrifice dreams and desires for my life. Like, am I willing to really give up the things I want to do in life for his plan and for his, for his will? And so I was struggling with this thing. Like, I, I wanted to sacrifice it. I kept trying to give it to God, just give it to God. And it seemed I was having resistance with that. 
And I wasn't sure. I was just like, well, God, if you want me to sacrifice this, like, I'm sacrificing it. So take it. And it was just still there. And so he brought me this, this verse. And it's from Esther 4. And we all know the story of Esther. It's kind of leading up to the climax. Mordecai is outside the palace um, and sending messages in back and forth to Esther. And it's at the decision point where Esther needs to decide, will she go into the king and talk to the king or not? And so here, starting Esther 4, verse 13. This is Mordecai speaking. Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than any other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. And I think back on my childhood and my life as a whole. You know, why, why was I born into the family I was? Godly parents, godly church, why? Was that for no purpose? The, all of the circumstances, the gifts, the talents I have, the people I know, was that just by chance? Or was this something that God foreknew and that God, that God made happen? from even before I was born. And who am I to just reject that and turn away and say, oh yeah, God has set my life up for something, but I'm just going to reject that and walk away because I want to do my own thing. And so with the thing I was struggling with and sacrificing, I realized this was a gift that God had given me. And he didn't want to take it away, right? He wants it to be free for his will. But really, he had given it to me to use for his will, for his plan, for his kingdom work. And who was I to despise that by asking him to take it away? And so it kind of flipped that on its head. And I was like, I need to be thankful for the gift that God gave me. And... Not to use it for my own good, but to use it for his, for his kingdom. So, yeah, ask yourself, like, what, what in my life has led up to this point? And was it by accident? Maybe you were brought here for this time for a purpose. The other thing was, I was... It was the first village time. I was, spend, I was with two other guys, and we were spending about four days in a village. And just imagine, you know, the brown dirt and the mud huts with grass roofs and all that, what comes to mind for an African village. And on the first day, we found out there was a little church building off to the side of the village. And this was a village um, 
none of the Kenesins or any of them had been to before. It was a new village. And so we didn't know if there were Christians there or what. And so we find that found this little church off to the side. And so we were just hoping something might come of that as we were staying and spending time with them. And then on the third day, uh, one of the guys was told us they're going to have a meeting in the church. And it was like Wednesday night. And so we went to the church, and it was just dark, one bare bulb up on the ceiling, and a handful of people, maybe 15 people, just sitting on benches and stuff in this little building. And they preached a simple message, and we sang some songs together. And I realized we were connecting as Christians. Like, only one of these people could speak English. And yet, here we were worshiping the same God on the opposite sides of the world together as Christians. And that was our connection point. We didn't look the same, we didn't talk the same, and we had very different cultures. But here we were connecting through Christ, and through God. And so after the service, we were walking out and the village is, is kind of a mess. There's just trash everywhere and children only half dressed and big puddles in the road and things that really glare at you uh, when you come from America to there. And so we were walking out of the church and I had uh, two little kids I was walking with. And in that moment after the service, I realized I was seeing past the physical world and into the spiritual realm of things. These weren't just little African kids or a nearly illiterate preacher, but these were souls, and these were souls that were going to heaven. And I saw past all the mud and the puddles and the, just the outside elements and I'm like, okay, all of that will pass. But really what is going to endure forever is these souls, these people. And this is what matters. And it's exciting when you can see past that. And that is really how God looks at us. He doesn't care much about you know, our nice comfy chairs or the carpet on the floor or whether we have light or dark skin. And we all know that. But to be able to see past that as a Christian for myself was really formidable or um, foundational. So I think of 1 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. And this is slightly out of context, but I think we can um, draw some truth out of this. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. How is that even possible? For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. 
So I want to leave that truth with you. Think about the eternal things. People and souls are eternal. And if, if we invest in that, that's eternal. That's an eternal investment that will never corrupt. And those are the things that we can take to heaven. All right, Lily, did you want to share your schedule? And then we'll do um, question and answer. So I did not realize how much studying happened on Sent One. I don't know how I didn't realize that because that's pretty much all it is. <laughs> um, so our daily schedule, we woke up at 5.30. And then from 5.36, we had time to get ready. Um, we had two, so our girls' dorm had like two different rooms. So there was four of us in one dorm. We shared two mosquito nets. Um, or like each room had two mosquito nets. And then six to seven was personal devotions. Seven to eight was corporate devotions. And then eight to nine was breakfast, work, cleanup. Um, they had a schedule where there was um, one guy and two girls on for dishes every meal. And then there was the person for the last meal, like through doing the dishes, they did the water bottles. So then you'd fill the water bottles after breakfast, lunch, and supper. Um, nine to 11 was the first class of the day. And then 11 to 12.30 was a study period. Um, it was kind of either a class or um, reading assignments. Um, and then 12.30 to 2 was lunch, cleanup, rest. We each had different chores that we had to sign up for, um, like sweeping the compound, cleaning the bathrooms, different things like that. 4 to 5 was, uh, or 2 to 4 was study period. 4 to 5 was... Um, oh wait, no. Yeah, two to four was a study period. Four to five was another study period. And then five to six, we had a session called The Glorious Story. So it was like um, almost every evening throughout the time we had sessions on like um, the purpose of the Bible and the mission that is portrayed the whole way through the Bible. And then six to 6.30 was a prayer time. 6.30 was supper, and then um, from 6.30, 7.30, we did dishes, water bottles. Uh, we usually played Foursquare, spike ball, different things like that. And then 7.30 to 9 was study period. Either we did studying or we did chorus practice or reading assignments or we had game nights. Um, and 9 to 10 was showers, and uh, we were supposed to be in our dorms by 9, and then lights out at 10. So yeah, that was kind of what every day looked like. Um, weekends we had, Saturday was always our, we got to sleep in until 6.30 or 7. And we had wash and volleyball and um, games and yeah, different things on Saturdays, little projects. So the schedule, um, like month or week by week, the first week we got there, I wasn't actually there the first week because of my whole visa situation. So the first week, they just did different projects like painting, and the girls learned how to um, do wax um, dyeing on fabric, and just different projects until me and the other teammate that was delayed got there. So in the first week that I was there, we did team orientation, and Daniel taught a culture course. 
And then Aaron Ulrich taught language learning that weekend. And then the next weekend, us girls on Monday, we went to the village where Aaron and Gretel Ulrich are um, ministering. We got to spend the day, meet their chief. We got a pound of fufu and make very Ghanaian meal and eat it together. That was a lot of fun. And then that was like, it was called the guys practical day that day while us girls were gone. They just did different projects around the compound. And then the rest of that week was culture course. And then that weekend was a contextualization course. And then the next week, the guys went to the village and Christy taught us girls in the mornings. And then afternoons, we were split up into three teams. And so the first team, uh, we cleaned. And then while the other team went to the market and then the third team um, had a reading assignment. And the next day, the next team would go to the market, make an African meal, or not an African meal. We did international meals. So like my team made a Thai curry. The one team made a Moroccan tagine, different things like that. So it was like a missionary practical course. So we got to learn how to shop in the market. We got to learn how to cook over fires. Um, and then that weekend was reports and sharing. So we got to share about our experiences with the team. The next week was missions history taught by Ross Ulrich. And then the next week was church planting strategy. So that whole week was that. And then the beginning of November was more of church planting strategy. And then um, we went to the village that week. So the guys split up into three groups and then us girls went to our village. So then we were there over the weekend. So we didn't have a normal weekend that weekend. So we got back on a Tuesday and or on Monday and the next day we had reports about that time and then a weekend meal like we eat African food throughout the week and then we have American food on the weekends so we got to have our American food on Tuesday <laughs> and then that week Daniel taught a course called Antioch Factor and we did street ministry so after um, all these courses we would go out and um, try to connect with Muslims or just people on the streets. So that week I met a, um, a Muslim lady. She was a seamstress. So I would just sit in her shop and watch her sew, and then we'd talk and discuss Islam and what she believes and what I believe. And so that was really neat. Then the next week was a course called Encountering the World of Islam. It was taught by Aaron Ulrich, and it was starting of the school ministry weeks. So then we would start going to the schools either mornings or evenings and give programs. And then the next week was core discipleship truths. And then the next week was kind of three things combined. It was more school ministry. And then Elijah Lloyd came over and taught combating universalism. And then evenings or afternoons we had missionary motivations by T Daniel. And then December was... Um, See here. We went to Bulga. It was about four hours from us, and we did schools there, and Daniel taught on our different inspirational teachings. That's what he called it. The next week, we went back to Tomali, and we did more street outreach. I got to meet up with my seamstress again, and she actually sewed me an African dress, so that was kind of fun. And we had Kingdom Finances course, and then a re-entry orientation that weekend. 
and then um, we had a normal weekend and packing on Sunday. And then Daniel has never done this for a team. We were the first team, but he took us to a waterfall, and we got to spend um, a few hours there taking pictures and just relaxing and spending a few hours there. And then from there, I went back to Tomalee with the Kenistons, and the team traveled to Accra and spent two days in Accra or one day in Accra. I think it was one day in Accra, and then they flew out. So, yeah, that's kind of what our schedule looked like while we were there. All right, so um, we'll try to move through this quickly. So going on scent one is a big thing, and it does take sacrifice. And we ourselves, we're, you know, we're just regular people, um, and we had hesitations and fears about it. And so we're going to kind of pose some of those questions and answer them. Um, some of the hesitations we had or think people might have. Okay. So one of the things you might say is, why would I go on Scent One? It's not even really actual ministry. Like, I could do a two-week ministries trip or something like that, and it would be more useful. Okay, so like, Johan, what would you say? This was one of my bigger questions. It's like, is this a good use of my time? Um, it's not actual ministry. And, but Scent um, was just an incredible um, opportunity to learn how to communicate the gospel through, um, through different cultures. Um, it, no, it's not actual ministry, but I, I, learned, I learned how to just communicate the gospel. Um, we had street practicals, and it was just an incredible opportunity to learn life-changing principles or things, um, li life-changing concepts uh, and um, about how to communicate the gospel at all. Um, so I feel like since I've gotten home, I've been, I've been able to be much, much more effective in ministry at home. Um, Sen is a three-month course, for, and um, in my life, God used it powerfully for um, teaching me lifetime things on just how to communicate the gospel, things that I'll, I should be able to use for the rest of my life. Um, so in that way, um, you need, I think you need to look at the big picture there. Okay. <clears throat> so another, um, another thing you might say is, well, why Ghana? Like, I don't feel called to be a missionary in Africa. The, like, so why don't I just go to the country I feel called to? Um, so, Lily, what would you say to that? This was something I really struggled with going there. I'm like, I don't feel called to Africa, I don't think. So, why would I do Scent One if I'm not planning on being there long term? Um, but I guess I didn't realize what all Scent One taught because we learned, um, we had like more foundational Christian, um, like the most foundational things were taught there. And it wasn't just how to be a missionary in Africa. It was how can I do outreach effectively. And it was, we had courses on 
language, and this, could, this wasn't just like African languages. This was, you could take this anywhere. We had courses on culture, which wasn't just, just Africa. Um, we had courses on combating universalism, which I don't think is really a thing for Africa. <laughs> we had Islam course and core discipleship courses. And so I realized like going there, I don't have to be like, well, I'm called here, so that's why I'm going. Um, it was more, how can I grow from this and take this wherever I end up? And it is an opportunity to um, learn how to communi communicate the gospel across any sort of cultural barrier. You know, even as um, more conservative Christians, even just trying to communicate the gospel to our neighbors, um, even, even that is crossing kind of a, a cultural barrier. There are, um, you know, there's fears, um, there, there's differences there. And even here in America, we have many, 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 many um, other many different cultures you we meet Muslims just many different people so even if I feel even if God never calls me to another country um, these are things I learned from sent one um, just for communicating the gospel um, hold true no matter no matter where where God calls you on earth yeah so another thing is the sacrifice of taking off work or money like, I don't have time to take off work or I can't afford this. And I would ask you, how big is your God? Do you believe that he could, do you believe that he can afford to send you there? And for me, I mean, this was big for me. Three months off work and you do the math in your head, that much lost time and money and X and X and X. That's a lot. But do I, do you believe that your God could send you there? And also, the, you have to realize it's an investment. Three months is proportionally very short in your lifetime. If you are expecting to uh, invest in other people's lives and share the gospel through the rest of your life, that's potentially 50 years of return for a three-month investment. So think about it proportionally in the, in the um, course of your life. Um, another one, you might say, oh, this is Ghana or Africa is hot. It's uncomfortable, and that'll be too much of a stretch for me. I'm not good with getting out of my comfort zone. I, I think this, I don't know if this is an excuse anyone would dare to ask out loud. So we're going to do it for you. <laughs> um, but it's something even the back, um, in my mind, it was in the back of my mind, um, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's scary. Um, it was my first time being out of out of the U.S. It's scary. Um, it, it's it's hot. That was one of the big things I was afraid about. Um, it's it's going to be uncomfortable. And one of the I, I think the, the answer to this question: um, Am I am I am I putting my personal comfort above the kingdom of God? Um, I had to ask myself that question again and again. Um, am I putting um, my my personal comfort, my um, how I how I feel. Am I putting am I putting that above the things that really matter? I don't think this question should should even enter the equation. I I think we need to be honest about it and and say you know what it's an opportunity to practice dying to myself and 
and putting the things that matter first. And for me, it was an, it was an, an it turned out to be an opportunity to say no to my feelings. Um, here in America, we tend to idolize our feelings. And it was an opportunity to say no to my feelings, no to my comfort, and, and um, put, put the things that really matter for, um, the things that really matter first, the eternal and the kingdom of God. So, yeah, that's good. Uh, another thing you might say is, oh, sent one, that's just for people who aren't bold enough or strong enough to just go out and do it. Like, just get your act together and go do it. Why do you need training? So this one, I feel like this question puts a limit on how much you want to grow. Um, yes, you can just go out and do it, but how effective is it going to be without um, understanding the purpose behind what you're doing, understanding who you are in God and why you're doing it? Um, I think it's saying, like, you've reached a point where you don't want to continue growing. Um, because if you're saying, well, I already have it put together, I don't need to grow more, then it's kind of showing that um, you don't really want to see what God can do in your life. And um, I think that one was a really good experience for me to um, just be willing to grow and be willing to um, learn more. Because I thought, I mean, I thought I knew a decent amount about ministry and stuff like that. But um, it was a really good experience to just grow and um, learn about why I'm doing what I'm doing. All right. Yeah, so these were some hesitations we had. And there's, I'm sure, a lot more doubts and fears. But yeah, ask yourself, how big is your God? Do you think he can take care of those things? Um, does anybody have any questions related to that or our time spent there or anything? So Christy, I don't think, did any cooking. Um, the, yeah, the chocolate girls would have done. She has three main cooks that Yeah. Yep, and then we, we did breakfast. So that was lunch and dinner that they were cooking for us. Go ahead. How was the food? <laughs> the food was good for the most part. Um, yeah, okra soup is hard to get down sometimes. Or, um, yeah, you weren't forced to eat anything, but, you know, some parts of cats are hard to, hard to eat, too. Um. It, it, was, it was something you had to lay on the altar and uh, grit your teeth. <laughs> I think peer pressure plays a big role in this, because once one of your teammates does it, then pretty much all of you have to do it. So that was handy to have 12 other youth trying the same thing, because then you kind of felt like you had to sometimes gag it down or yeah, most of the food was really, really good. By the time I left, I actually really enjoyed all the food. But the first few weeks were pretty difficult. <laughs> Anything else? Was there a lot of pushback from the Muslims? No, so the Muslims there are very peaceable. And they kind of pride themselves in 
working in conjunction with the Christians because there is a Pentecostal Assemblies of God presence there quite a bit in Tomalee, and they intermingle pretty well. They, um, yeah, I, yeah, so not much pushback in that. But we did spend some time doing evangelism on the streets, and it's hard to, to, um, to argue with somebody who doesn't believe your holy book is valid. I mean, where do you go from, like, it's, it's hard. Muslim is, or um, Islam is a hard religion to combat. Yeah, with the seamstress I was reaching out to, um, she was like, well, we're all on our way to heaven and God, so why does it matter how we get there? And um, Christians and Muslims, they just interact, they're all family, like, if we're all the same God, like, why are you making a big deal out of Christianity? So that one was a really hard thing for me to um, try to come up with an answer because we weren't, like, I didn't want to argue with her. I didn't want to, we weren't really supposed to argue and try to get into theology and stuff like that. And so just showing her um, why I am a Christian and why um, Muslims are more stuck in bondage with just the rituals, not the rituals, but the prayers that they have to do, the different things that they have to do, and whereas in Christ we have more freedom and we have a relationship with God instead of just like, okay, now it's 2 o'clock, I have to pray, and I have to do my recited prayer. Um, so that was really stretching for me. Anything else? How is the culture? Oh, culture shock. Um, it was good. We, we eased into it. It was better than other culture shocks I've had. Um, you're, when you're with a group of, you know, 15 Americans or whatever, it makes it a lot easier. It was, it was my first time out of the, out of the United States, so it was something that was... Um, it was, it was, there was a lot of culture shock. Um, we kind of, the first few weeks, you kind of eased um, in the compound, you know, interacting with the Chaka family was, uh, it was very, it was very um, shocking. But, you know, after, after about a month, you got used to it. And then they sent you out to the villages. And just the difference between the, the compound and the villages, that was culture shock. That was stretching. But it was, it was very good. <laughs> it, was, it was very good for me. Um, yeah, I think the first thing that shocked me, I'm used to just, I run into the house and I lay on the comfortable couch and just curl up in a blanket. And there was no couches there. It was benches and hard chairs and we have thin mats on the cement floor for our beds. And so that was probably the most shocking thing to me. Um, the food, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't that terrible for me. I know it was more of a struggle for other people. So definitely the... I was used to more comforts, and that was probably the biggest shock. <laughs> Anything else? Yes. Um, so one of the questions that always came to me or fears um, when I was going on a mission somewhere was, um, I, don't, I don't speak well, or I'm scared to be in front of people, or 
I don't know what to say when, when I'm confronted with somebody. How did you deal with that? Hmm. Maybe you didn't have those fears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm not sure I dealt with that. <laughs> I think that's something that young people across the board struggle with a lot, yeah. with making a decision like this. It was an opportunity to grow. <laughs> I, it was something I was very afraid about. You know, we spoke at one point, I, I think I spoke in a crowd, to a crowd of 800 people. Um, several times we spoke in front of crowds of 2,000 people. So it was a major thing for a lot of us. And it was an opportunity to grow. Um, it was stretching, but what we, we need to be stretched or else we won't grow. We need, to, we need to be pushed out of our comfort zones or we won't, we won't grow. So I, I would see it as, for me, it was an opportunity to stretch myself and I've had a lot more confidence public speaking since then. So it was an incredibly, a, a really good opportunity to grow in that area. Yeah, I personally focus on where I want to be in that. Do I want to be a someone who is comfortable speaking. Um, so if you focus on that goal, you know, God will help you through. And there, there were times that I was on preaching and I didn't know what I was going to speak about. And you just, you pray and you ask God to, and he brings you verses, he brings things to mind, he relaxes you. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a factor. But where do you want to be? Do you, for the rest of your life, do you want to be scared of standing up front? Yeah, when I first got there, I couldn't understand Ghanaian English, and that scared me, because I'm like, here I am, I want to connect with the people, and I can't even understand what they're saying, even if it's my language. <laughs> and so at first that was really hard, and then speaking in the schools, um, we had to learn to use examples that they would identify with. So you have to really think about their culture and what they're going to identify with. Um, and you have to speak slowly and very clearly and really pronounce the words that you're saying. So speaking in front of like 1,200 people and they're all about your age and you're really nervous and then having to slow down and speak clearly was really hard. <laughs> but by the time I left, I was speaking Ghanaian English with the chocolate family and it was so fun being able to understand them and communicate and yeah, it was terrifying at first, um, but it was definitely an opportunity to grow, and I'm very thankful for that opportunity. So it didn't go perfect the first time. <laughs> no, Dan <laughs> Daniel's main thing was um, make sure you laugh. He's like, if you make a mistake, just laugh with them. So you'd say something and pronounce it wrong or something, and you'd just both be laughing about it because it sounded so funny. And so he's like, don't beat yourself up about mistakes. Learn to laugh at yourself and have fun with them. Anybody else? We we had the we stayed in a Muslim village on our first village experience and you know the, the chief saw how in their culture, you know, how they just kind of treat wives as belongings. The chief had four wives and just family life. We, um, and, you know, in, in, in the, the, a lot of the um, 
the villages would be spirit worshipers, animistic, like traditionals. So um, they would have witch doctors and and it was just an incredible contrast um, staying in the Christian village with the Christian brothers and sisters and seeing how they treat their wives with love, um, how, how the gospel is changing the Ghanaian culture on an inside level. Um, and another, another example would be in, in a lot of the Muslim or animistic villages um, where the gospel has not been spread yet, you know, they would, if there's an illness, they would, they would try to treat it with a witch doctor or they would just say, it, oh, it's spiritual. And, you know, for example, there's, there's many people who go in Africa who go blind from this simple, it's a malnutrition, um, like a mineral deficiency, and it, and it creates a tumor over the eye. And many, many people go blind. Thousands of people go blind just in Ghana. And all it takes is maybe 20 pills, um, I don't know, $30 and a simple treatment at a clinic. But, but from the, with the animistic worldview uh, that a lot of the villages have, they would say, oh, it's a, it's a, um, it's a spirit, you know, and they would, they would, or, or we can't do anything about it. But the Christians properly understand um, the, the, power, the, the, the power of God, but then physical ailments versus spiritual. And so, and so um, the Christian villages, um, they would, they they would they would take take these patients into um, they'd say hey let's the family would be like oh let's take them to the witch doctor and they'd say no no let's take them to the clinic and they take them to the clinic and and um, it's just a, a simple a simple fix so there's just the light of the gospel um, shedding its light on the culture is radically, radically changing it in the lives of the Christian Christians there. Um, so it's pretty, pretty neat to see just, it's that extreme contrast between devil worshipers and then the Christians. It's just, wow, <laughs> the gospel, the gospel makes a difference. Um, Adam, I'm just, um, what we, how you, or what you learned and how to approach a person that doesn't believe the word of God. Because we face that even in Fort Collins in Old Town. There is the young generation, a lot of them, they, they have no idea. They don't, they don't believe the word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's the ultimate question. One of the things that I found useful is testimony. You can't argue with a story. You can't argue, if somebody's telling you, I felt this, I received this, I responded in this way. You can't argue that. They said they did it. And I spent several hours kind of going back and forth about, you know, Muhammad and Jesus and all of that. And at the end, I was just like, will you let me tell, tell you a story? And of course they will. And you, just, you tell them a testimony, you tell them experience, you tell them what it means to you. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but yeah, they can't argue with testimony. Yeah, I would definitely, definitely agree with that. I, that's one of the biggest things is our own testimony of how the gospel has changed our lives 
and how God has worked in our own lives. And I think ultimately to people who don't believe in the word of God, who don't even have any basic, um, the biggest testimony ultimately is, yes, yes, our words is a big testimony, but the biggest testimony is the gospel coming through our lives and changing our lives and people seeing that and seeing the difference. Um, so that, that speaks for itself as well. Um, in, a, in today's culture, especially where, where morals are being thrown out the window, living a, a life um, for the king of, of, um, and seeing just, gos- just basic truths come out. And that, that, that is, a, a, and you know, even just big families, that is a huge testimony. That speaks for itself louder than words. So that's, that's not a near complete answer, but that's something that does play into it. All right, anything else? Yeah, now we're qualified. Yikes. Yeah, just in just in um, closing, I I really really want to challenge um, any of the serious Christian young people here that this is an incredible opportunity to learn how to communicate the gospel. Um, it was very foundational just in my Christian life. Um, and this, this is not the only opportunity. Um, maybe God would not have you go, but I, I, I want to challenge everyone who, who could go, who is still young, who has the, has, ha, who's not married or who has that option at this point to seriously and prayerfully consider it. It's just an in, incredible opportunity to, to go to another country and to, to learn how to communicate the gospel through a different culture. And there's just many, many different things. Um. Yeah, and it's not about Sent One. Uh, Sent One is just a program, and that will pass for in light of eternity. But what we're trying to communicate is have a willingness and open hands, open heart to God. Uh, ask him what you want, what he wants you to do, and be ready to obey. So that may mean send one, it may not, and that's for God to say and not us. Um, but yeah, keep your eyes open and be willing. Yeah, I'd say God used sent one um, in my life for growing, but I mean, I would definitely encourage all of you guys if you have the chance, go for it. Um, but if that's not what God has for you, just make sure you have an open heart that's willing to go, that is willing to step out of your comfort zone and go places for God. Okay, so we have a song that's kind of our team theme song, if you will. Um, It's just a simple song, but think about the words. Let your word go forth among the nations. 
nations, let your voice be heard. Among the people, may they know our God. The only true God reigns on earth as he reigns in heaven. May your church be bold and speak with one voice. May our hearts be strong and never failing. May we know no fear except a holy fear of you, our King. May our lives be a true expression of your great and glorious kingdom. We will choose to faithfully follow you wherever you may take us. May your church be bold and speak with one voice. May our hearts be strong and never failing. May we know no fear except a holy fear of you.